Welcome to Doing the Dirty Dishes podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Quigley. This is a spiritual podcast where we look at topics and discuss all and any under the sun. Topics and subjects that will make you smile, make you think deep, or make you ponder your soul and the universe. Today's topic is me. This is episode zero. This is the story that brought me to this point, a little bit about my past and my journey to what got me to speaking on camera here uh, as a podcast. It's been quite a journey. And um, first, before I go into the story in the background, I want to tell, uh, uh, pass along some information that came to me through wise elders, uh, native wisdom. And uh, the first is, uh, in life you need what you get and you get what you need. You need what you get and you get what you need. It's quite deep. You think it over. And the second one is, um, when the story ends, life begins. When the story ends, life begins. And what that means is basically that we all ride a, a story horse in life. And uh, until we get off that horse and stop riding that story, stop telling that story, then we continually have uh, we don't get to do our real work. We don't get to go deep. And uh, we keep living that story and that superficial um, false identity that we portray to everyone, that we tell everyone that's who we are and, and that's what we're about. And that's not really our true self. But when you learn to get off that story horse, when you stop telling that story uh, and start uh, looking inside for answers, then you can start living your life again. The background on this story, um, of this episode, uh, brings me back to Asia in the late 90s. <clears throat> I lived in Tokyo, I worked for the government, and um, on a train, or excuse me, on a plane ride from JFK to Narita, Japan, I met this uh, beautiful Greek, Irish, uh, Upper East Side Manhattanite, and we had a great conversation, we became friends, and uh, Years later, she uh, left the Upper East Side debutante world and went out into discover who she was and eventually ended up in India and studying Vedic astrology with a famous astrology, astrology um, man there. And uh, when she came back, she wanted to practice what she had learned, so she asked me if she could. And over the years, um, she gave me different readings and the first one that really sticks out is at one point she gave me her, uh, a first real reading and uh, at the end of it she said well you know your social lines and the business lines intersect in South Asia wait a minute let me get a map out let me look and she transposed the map over the reading map and basically the both lines had intersected in Bali Indonesia and I had been there before previous as had she when we lived in Asia, not together. And uh, she said, what does Bali mean to you? And I said, well, pretty funny, I'm moving there in six months. So that was the beginning of it. And um, fast forward to Bali, and uh, I'm living quite the wild life. I'm in a third world country on a Western salary. 
uh, voted one of the number one islands in the world every year to visit. Uh, living there is a bit different, as is uh, most places. And if you're a tourist, you see one side of the world that exists there. And if you're uh, living there, you see another side of the world that exists there. And they're not normally, they don't normally coincide. They usually clash. Uh, and Bali is no exception. Um, so as much as there, it's a spiritual island, they call it the, the island of the gods, although the locals call it the island of the bugs. Uh, lots of bugs there. Um, even though it's a spiritual place, it's also a party island and you can get yourself in trouble quite easily. And although I was not quite the partier at that time, I was still a bit of an international playboy and um, I was engaged, so I wasn't really into that scene and that wasn't really my scene. But it's easily a place you can get yourself in trouble. So over the, over the, my time there, uh, Alexi uh, gave me more readings. And uh, I'm going to speak of three very quickly. And the third one will bring us to the next, um, will segue us into the next portion of the discussion. Uh, at one point, she told me not to be involved in contract or money negotiations. And I did uh, for my contract for the company I was working with. Uh, it was French-owned spice company, fourth largest in the world. At that time, I thought I had made it. Educated, living in South Asia, big title, you know, nice car, good salary, had engaged, I was engaged, I was going to get married, things were looking good for me. So uh, I, didn't, I didn't heed that advice, and I went to do the contract negotiations, and it blew up in my face, which ended up um, being partially res responsible for why I left Bali. And the second uh, time later, she told me, hey, listen, this one God is in this house and this moon is lined up and for the next few weeks, uh, stay away from partying, gallivanting out in public and the beaches and, and uh, late night events because he gets in trouble. Once again, I didn't heed that advice and went out and ended up in the middle of a tribal warfare and almost got killed. Uh, lost uh, this right side of my face, got my teeth knocked out, uh, occipital bone where your eye socket is got broken in half, stitches here, 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 there, all nerve damage, couldn't eat out of my mouth, drink for, for weeks. And um, had quite, quite, a, um, quite an accident. And um, the third, actually this will be a bonus, the fourth will segue us in. The third, which I almost forgot, was um, another time she told me to stay off motorcycles and motorized vehicles for uh, a few weeks. And uh, I didn't. In shorts one day, in sandals, although I had a helmet on, I was riding to the local cafe to meet a friend for a business meeting and um, faced near certain death at the back of a dump truck. I would have been introduced to it if I didn't decide to lay down my bike and, uh, and crash it. And... Um, and that was quite an accident also. Um, survived from all of them and I made it this far. And, uh, and Bali definitely put me on that path. It was definitely pretty much one more nail in the coffin that I needed uh, eventually, which I didn't know yet, I was unaware, to get me to where I needed to be in life to serve my purpose. And um, being in Bali was a great experience. It's a beautiful island and I'll return there. And I send love to all my friends there. And one great story that came out of Bali is uh, my driver and my security guard who lived at my home at the time, G'day, uh, after having 
two years with Crazy Steven and his English, uh, went on with that English and those skills to create his own tour guide company called G'day Bali Tours. And uh, G'day, or Day Day, as I affectionately call him, has now uh, a successful business in Bali. It's suffering because of the COVID-19 virus at this time. But he has a successful business. He just had a new baby. Uh, and things are good. It's his second child. He's married and things are good for him. So we wish him lots of love and success and uh, in his future. The, uh, the fourth reading, we're going to fast forward now to leaving Bali. And I'm back in Philadelphia. And uh, as an entrepreneur, I've gone through many businesses, uh, successes and failures. You're always trying to save your money to get the next big idea, the next big business. And none of them had become great successes yet, and that's okay. I knew that was the case. Takes the average entrepreneur going broke seven times before he has a business that uh, succeeds and does well. And um, I have this financial company that I started, consumer financial company, is very successful. And I have another reading from Alexi, and um, basically she tells me, you know, things are good, you're progressing forward, and um, things are opening up for you. Uh, but there's one little thing that you need that you need to heed and take my advice uh, prudently, and that's um, you need to get in aligned with the universe and your purpose. And if you think you're doing it, you're not doing it enough. You need to do it more because at the time I thought that I was doing it. I thought that I was in a good position. And that I was um, that I was going down the right path towards spirituality and towards success. What I least thought was success inside. Little did I know, none of that mattered. Um, but nonetheless, uh, deep inside, I was hurting and I didn't know it. And she told me that if I didn't heed the universe's advice, that it would knock me off my feet. She had never had such a reading before. She wasn't sure how to interpret it. Nor was I. It was a bit confusing. Knocked off your feet. Well, what does that mean? You get knocked down. You fall down. You trip. You break a leg. You break an ankle, a foot, a toe. It can mean lots of things. Endless things. Well, uh, fast forward a short time. And uh, I woke up in a trauma center. Uh, with lights in my eyes. I vaguely remember that. And my first real memory, my first real recollection of that night after the accident was um, coming to in a cold, dark, sterile hallway, lying on a gurney, flat, and I couldn't move my body. I couldn't move any part of my body, only my eyes. And next to me on my right was a priest, having grown up Irish Catholic. It's never a good sign when there's a priest uh, at your side, especially here in a cold, dark hallway. And so I said to him, I turned my eyes towards him and said, Father, am I dead? Am I in a morgue? I really thought I was dead. I didn't think I was alive. And he had his hand on my arm. I couldn't feel it. And I'll never forget his words. And he said, No, my son. You've been in a tragic accident. Wow, man. Talk about getting hit with a ton of bricks. It was a... Um, it was a stunning realization right there, right in my face, that this is it. I'm in it. And no phone call, no connection, no anyone or anything was going to help me. And I started having a pity party for myself and feeling bad and why me and 
why this horrible accident and oh my god I can't believe I can't feel my body I'm, I'm paralyzed I don't what am I gonna do and a little voice came to me in my head and I've read about this before and heard about it and um, it just kind of just comes it just kind of in, injects right into your thoughts and, and it speaks to you and you don't know where it comes from but it was a soft and assuring voice and it said to me Stephen you've done it this time you've really had a bad accident it's it's quite a doozy um, but you're going to get through it. It's going to be painful and it's going to be long and it's going to be a hard recovery and, uh, and healing. But you'll get through it and you'll go on to walk again and to do great things and to help others, especially with struggle. So, okay, poof, it went away and immediately I got positive and thought, okay, I'm going to walk again. I'm going to beat this. Now, it also must be noted uh, two things. One... Um, when it comes to uh, trauma and being in these situations things are happening so quickly uh, and so fast you think that you're you're making decisions and you think that you're that you're considering all of the options um, but really uh, things are, are out of your control and they were already out of your control before the accident the accident is just the it's just the sign, okay? It's just the symptom that you're showing. It's the result of everything that brought you there. And when it comes to family, um, I'd like to say that if your family was bad before you had your accident, then they may be there immediately to help you during the emergency and during the traumatic times. Friends, they probably won't be there. Some that you expect will be, some that you expect uh, won't be do show up but uh, if your family is bad and you had a bad relationship with a brother or a sister or a father or a mother before your accident they'll be there and, and they'll get through what you need to get through with them um, but in time those relationships will go back to being bad so don't fool yourself a trauma is not going to bring the family any closer together it can and there's a possibility it will and that's the other option but most likely what it will do is it will just continue to be as it was um, so, you know, I didn't have a good relationship with my father before and uh, had different situations with different brothers and sisters throughout the, the recovery. Um, you can read about it in the book, you know, what happened with my father and taking $30,000 uh, promised me from my account, from my therapy. And I have a sister who's a nurse, she's an amazing person with an amazing heart. Um, but that relationship failed too, and and um, and 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 you know it just it happened with different brothers and different sisters, and for different reasons, and that's all healing of another sort that has to come, and that's all part of the the process. Um, but I just want that to to be said uh, as far as as that goes, and also when you wake up in a situation like that, one of the uh, hardest things is um, opening your eyes and seeing who's there at the end of the trauma, who, who showed up and, um, and who's there to help support you. And, uh, and that can be quite surprising. In any case, um, I do differentiate very clearly um, between recovery and between healing. And um, 
Although I'm 85% recovered now, you can see that I'm moving my hands and my upper body. Uh, it's also the reason that I go back and forth. I have pain in my spine, so I, I have to adjust so that it doesn't hurt so much. Uh, but I'm 85% recovered, and I started off paralyzed from here down. I do believe 100% that I'll walk again and probably will run, and I'll make a full recovery, and I'll go on to speak and to help others. But along, those, along that road... Uh, to recovery, there's a few people that need mention. So first is my surgeon, Dr. Jeffrey Ryan from Rothman Institute and Jefferson Health System from Philadelphia, who upon wheeling me into the surgery, and I joked to him not to ruin my golf swing. He thought that was quite funny and said that no one had said that to him. But he's a doctor's doctor. He's full of love and he's an amazing person. And he was interested in any and all modalities that I could find to help heal. And if I could find them and they worked, please tell him so he could tell other patients. Second person that deserves mention is Elizabeth Watson, doctor of physical therapy at McGee Rehabilitation in Philadelphia, also owned by Jefferson at this time, whose fervent uh, spirit and unending love and, and cheerleading uh, through all my crazy ideas and all of my um, just craziness to try to get better and all the things that I tried maybe seemed a bit absurd at the time, but I'm sure cold laser and other things don't seem so crazy now, now that I'm recovered. But she was an amazing uh, person, as was Team Purple and everyone at McGee. So thank you for that. And thirdly, uh, mention goes to a good friend of mine who is a MBA doctor. He's the chiropractor for the Philadelphia 76ers, Dr. Le Le Dr. Neil Liebman, excuse me. And... Um, not only is he a great friend and a great person, but he's an amazing doctor. He's an energy doctor, and he, uh, he everything comes from the heart with Neil. He heals from the heart and with love. Uh, he's a good-looking, tall gentleman, would give Leo DiCaprio a run for his money. And Leo, be careful. Neil might take the part in the movie, Unbreakable Mind, in the future. Uh, but again, another doctor's doctor, another person who heals with love and from the heart diagnosing what's wrong with the patient uh, you could go to school and learn that but learning how to heal a patient and learning how to love a patient and communicate that through your heart is a very different process but those three people Dr. Jeffrey Ryan and uh, Elizabeth Watson aka Lizzie Miss Lizzie and uh, Dr. Liebman all have that in their hearts so where does that bring me that brought me to a point in my life where I had got far in my recovery and I had started down the spiritual path of healing. And after a few years of being convinced by friends, I decided to write a book, Unbreakable Mind, in order to give back to the community and help those in life with struggle or those looking for a great story of motivation and inspiration. I had a great editor who had a great past and uh, with New York Times and uh, some bestsellers. And she turned the book into a book that applies to anyone and everyone. Uh, with struggle or that's facing a challenge or a battle in life uh, which is most all of us uh, a few things about the accident that I would say um, really uh, just a, uh, a process that just psychologically destroyed me took away friends took away family finances emotional mess mental mess physical mess I couldn't I couldn't walk I, I slipped slipped off my couch like a noodle and uh, and thanks is due also to 
Dr. Rod Napier and Dr. Joey Roberts, who were two people, friends. Uh, and there'll be a podcast in the future about Rod called Saturdays with Rod, where he used to come to my place every Saturday after teaching at University of Pennsylvania for hours and give me his time. And they both were tremendously helpful in getting me through the psychological part and the psychological battle, which is about 90% of it. Uh, Which brings me to this part here, which is the podcast. And uh, in short, it took years, another two years of friends and mentors and people that I respect highly to convince me that I should be on camera and that I should have a podcast and I should speak. I had no interest. I didn't want to self-aggrandize. I don't really have an interest in the public spotlight um, in telling others or speaking from a position of advice or authority. Um, But I think it's okay as far as guidance to share my story and my lessons. And some of the greatest lessons that I had came from my accident. Uh, Actually, the greatest lessons. It was the greatest gift I had. Um, The other part that I didn't speak of, and I'll speak about it over the next months and years, is the healing part, which is what brought me to the podcast. In order to heal, I had to go down a dark, dark journey, not just waking up with a priest at my side and being devastated and going through all the other emotional and financial and physical and all the other losses that I I, I suffered, but inside I had to go and find contentness. I had to find happiness. I had to find my way through this. So not just the recovery, which is the physical, but I had to find my way through, through the psychosomatic part of it, the relation from the mind to the heart, to the healing, to what's inside, to the happiness, okay, to uh, being connected to my heart, finding my purpose and then living that purpose, which is what I'm doing now. And going down that dark journey, going into the heart is how do you get to your soul. That's how you find the, the God inside. You are God, the inner Holy Spirit, the higher self, the inner self. Only when you dark go into that a dark place, go into that uh, journey of life, will you take away all the busyness, the things that we busy our lives with endlessly, religion, food, shopping, sex, whatever pleasurable uh, joy that you have that you think makes you happy, it doesn't. And we'll do a, a, another podcast in the future on uh, joy versus happiness and the difference. One is a temporary feeling of elation and one is a, a way of living uh, just like love. It cannot be bought, it cannot be possessed, it cannot be had. Uh, it has to be endowed upon you, it's grace. And you get that through living and it's an experience. It's nothing that you just obtain one day. In any case, uh, having gone down that dark journey, um, a few things about it, you know, I ended up losing my home, ended up living out of my car for a year, ended up living out of a tent for six months in the southern states. And uh, at one point, and I'll go into it again at a later time in another podcast, but I found myself deep uh, in thought and dark and lonely in the woods of Tennessee and decided that day that I was going to pass on to the spiritual world and become a spirit again. And I prayed that night and I meditated and I felt this great elation. So I thought, okay, that's a sign that I can move on to the afterlife. Uh, I'm an experienced outdoorsman and uh, expedition guide. I'm good with rope tying. But that evening when I went to tie the rope so I could hang myself from a water pole there at the camp, they have these big tall steel water poles where you hang water from for a shower, Um, my hands wouldn't go together. They wouldn't work. I was unable to create a knot, a noose, so I could hang myself. And the next morning, I tried three times and wasn't able, so I gave up. And the next morning I woke up and I felt this immense elation, almost as if I'd 
woken up in some kind of uh, euphoric state, like some kind of heavenly state. And I thought, oh my God, did I die? Am I in heaven? In a different, uh, I didn't have a priest there, but I just felt this immense uh, emotion. I felt this immense um, inner swell of love. And I realized that uh, I wasn't meant to take my life. That was the feeling of love from inside, from God and from the Holy Spirit and from the universe telling me that uh, I would be okay and that I would get through it and that everything that I was experiencing was natural and that was part of the journey and part of the path. And uh, I won't go into it because there's lots to say about that path and that journey, but at the end of the day, happiness is inside, okay? And that's where it is, it's free. You don't have to go far, you don't have to look for it, you don't have to pay anybody. Uh, you may have somebody guide you or help consult you through it, the process, but it's free and it's inside and it's a deep, dark process. And the Martin Seligmans of University of Pennsylvania and all the positive psychology and all of the wishful thinking and fast food, fast food universe ordering of the Tony Robbins types won't get you there. When I woke up there in that hospital and I was paralyzed, no amount of positive thinking or, or wishful thinking uh, was going to get me up out of that situation to walk, to feel good. I was in it. And I had to do the dirty dishes of life, okay? And that's why this podcast is called Doing the Dirty Dishes. And that's why that's the theme of my life. It comes from Buddhism and it comes from far beyond. But in life, anything that's worth having, uh, it, you have to do the dirty dishes. You just have to get your hands dirty. You have to jump in and you have to do it. And so after years uh, of getting finally to this point, I decided that I would make a podcast. And here it is, Doing the Dirty Dishes. So welcome to my podcast and thank you for taking your time to listen to my podcast. Uh, I end every podcast with some quotes or proverbial wisdom and uh, the first one came from a Sioux elder and it's one of my favorites and it says that religion is for those who fear hell, spirituality is for those who have walked through hell. And uh, I couldn't think of anything that's more true. My two quotes for the for the today's session are from Ralph Waldo Emerson, transcendentalist movement in the 1800s, led into Emerson and uh, Thoreau. And the first one is, quote, do not go where the path may lead, go instead where there is no path and leave a trail, end quote, Emerson. One more by Emerson, quote, what lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny compared to what lies within us, end quote. And that's Emerson. What an amazing, amazing uh, thinker. So, thank you again for joining me on my introduction podcast. If you liked it, please consider sharing it on YouTube or any of the other podcast sites that you can find it. I can also be found on Instagram, LinkedIn, and we have a site on Facebook with proverbial daily wisdom that will make you smile and think.